Chamber of Commerce, a catalyst for sustainable economic prosperity in the Catskills, fostering cooperation, forging partnerships, promoting tourism, providing legislative advocacy, and building strong community ties throughout the region. More information at 607-746-2281 or DelawareCounty.org. This is Dan O'Connell, host of Monday Morning Music on WIOX Roxbury. As a WIOX spokesperson, I also manage underwriting for the station, and I'm here to let you know that underwriting on WIOX is a great way to support the station and inform the community about your business or service. If you'd like to become an underwriter, contact me for details at 607-326-3900 or WIOX at WIOXradio.org. Okay, you're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local, in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM, NTC Cable TV, Channel 20, on the campus of SUNY Delhi at 107.5 FM, worldwide at WIOXradio.org, on your computer or smartphone. This is From the Forest, every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane, how's it going? Good, good. So what have you been up to? What have I been up to? Yeah, what have you been up to? I've been uh, working in the woods a bit, so I just moved into a new apartment. It's a little farmhouse, and it's got a brand new wood stove in it. So I've never used a wood stove before. I've never grown up with one, so I've been seasoning it. I've been uh, just uh, getting used to it and gathering wood and around the property and... Uh, ordering wood and just trying to uh, learn what I can. Cool. Yeah, wood. It's, uh, it's a learning curve, you know? I mean, some people just think it's as simple as throwing it in, but uh, every house is different, every stove is different, and uh, tree species vary, right? Yeah. So, But uh, we'll get right into the show here, and tonight's topic is how the pandemic drove up the cost of wood products with the USDA's Jeff Prestiman, 
Uh, Jeff is the project leader with the USDA Forest Service Southern Research Station, Forest Economics and Policy, and his interests in research include understanding human-caused wildfire processes, quantifying the effects and economic net benefits of wildfire fuel treatments, understanding processes of illegal activities, including green crimes occurring in forests, understanding the national and global impacts of policies and programs to reduce rates of illegal logging and trade in illegally sourced forest products, also uh, nonlinear and linear modeling of forest product market prices and spatial relationships, and the economics of forest-based disturbances, national and global forest product markets and trade modeling. And uh, he has academic experience, Ph.D. in forest economics from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, Master's in Forest Economics, NC State, and a bachelor's from uh, Forest Resources Management, Iowa State University. And let me see if I can get Jeff on right now. Jeff, are you there? I'm here. All right, yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. How you doing? Great, thanks. And I need to uh, reduce the list of things I'm doing. You, it makes me <laughs> sound like I must be really tired. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you got a lot of research interests. What can I say? I'm all over the map. You sure are. So where are you calling us from? Calling from Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. That's the Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill area. No kidding. Have the leaves uh, started turning down there yet or no? Yeah, they're just starting. It's beautiful. The weather's been great. If you go up to the mountains, you'll see a lot of color. So uh, people around here are already heading up to Asheville and places like that. Nice. And uh, so what got you into uh, you know, the USDA Forest Service? How did you land there? Well, it's kind of a long story, but I have to admit that my father is a forest products professor. And so when I was growing up, I went to all kinds of forestry summer camps with him. I went on mill tours, toured all kinds of mills all over the country. Uh, and I love to be outdoors, in the woods, hiking, camping, all of that. And, and you know, at heart, I'm really kind of an ecologist. I got my... Uh, Actually, my bachelor's is focused more on ecology and biology than in economics and wood products. So uh, I had a diverse set of interests. I came right into college and decided that, you know, actually forestry does seem right for me. I was the only one in my big family to choose that career after my father. So, so here I am all these years later working to um, understand things like what happened during the pandemic in the forest sector. i got to ask, Iowa. Are you from Iowa? Yeah. And I don't think of forest forest resources management. I think of Iowa. So educate me on that. Yeah. So I mean, of course, that's it's almost a joke. Uh, yes. Why would there be a forestry department in Iowa? Actually, if you look back in history, Iowa State University had one of the first forestry programs in the nation. Wow. And in fact, it it really uh, has. If you look at some of the the leaders in forestry in history, a lot of them made it through Ames, Iowa, where I grew up, uh, and got their degrees there. So you might think it's it is a little unusual. And I will say though, during my education as a forester, and as of course growing up with my father. Uh, we did leave the state a lot to see the big trees. So, uh, yeah, out to Montana or up to Minnesota or uh, down south or far out west to California and all of that. So, yeah, it's important to get out and see the trees, and, and uh, I did a lot of that growing up. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, Iowa State prepared me, uh, educated me, um, ready to tackle the field, but uh, here we are today um, uh, looking at what's happening in the, in the whole United States, basically. All right. Yeah, what, what uh, in your opinion, uh, what makes forest economics kind of unique uh, in, in the study of economics? 
That's that's a great question. It's something I think I was asked during my PhD defense. Ah. So uh, it, you know, it, the the thing about forest economics is that it is economics and it's about forests, but forests generally take a long time to grow. So you make an investment. People make an investment. They buy the forest or they plant trees. It takes a long time to return it to get your returns from those kinds of investments. And so, uh, in fact, it's a special study understanding how how interest rates change and you could invest in this or you could invest in that and, and why would you invest in forest management in, in let's say producing timber. So in that way it's unique in that it's a long run sort of investment in the future uh, with a product that comes out of it. Also the tree is also the factory. So uh, mm-hmm. the tree grows and, uh, and in the end you plant the tree and then it grows and then in the end you, you have a, a product to cut and you do it again. So in that sense, it's a long-run process that requires some special kinds of economics and, and, uh, and calculus, actually, to figure out uh, how to do it right. That's the timber-growing aspect, though. Um, there are many other reasons why uh, foresters exist and, are, and forest economists work, and, and in fact, uh, forests provide many benefits. And that, that's important to understand that, that forest economists don't just study timber and how, how, you, know, how you might get a um, money for your investment. They also look at things like what are those benefits that people get from them? What are the value of those benefits um, to uh, individual landowners or to the broader public? Hmm. So recently uh, you wrote an article called COVID-19 and Forest Products Analysis of the Pandemic's Effect on the Forest Products Sector, including Lumber Pricing and Demand Reduction of Labor. Uh, when did this come out exactly? This paper came out in February of 22, so about eight months ago. Okay, and you co-write it, or, or yes, I had uh, I had a co-author. Um, his name is Jingang Guo, and he's actually a, a brilliant economist of mine, a uh, colleague of mine, and, and he's now right now at uh, Louisiana State University in the Department of Agricultural Economics and Agribusiness. Uh, there, uh, he he did work with me here in the in uh, the research triangle area for a few years. Uh, and now he and I are still collaborating, looking at things such as the pandemic, and and uh, we put our heads together and came up with with that analysis. We have ongoing research as well that that uh, will uh, speak to the COVID issue as well in the forest product sector. So yeah, I know uh, you know the pandemic caught everyone off guard, and a lot of people who were in the research fields um, were kind of forward thinking, and they pivoted their research to what was happening. Um, what drew you to this research, or what were you working on, and, and what did you pivot from and to get to this paper? Well, uh, first, uh, people would come up to me and say, what in the world is going on with these prices? And uh, so I just decided I had to look into it, and I got calls from other people said, Jeff, you need to spend a little bit more time looking at what's going on out there in product price world. So um, I also noticed that there were quite a lot of swings uh, that there was a lot going on during the pandemic, including illness rates, and and we knew that uh, across the country there were some shutdowns. A lot of businesses pulled back. Um, people quit their jobs. People stayed home, worked from home. Mills were impacted, and I thought, you know what? I think there's a story there. There's a connection between what's going on in the pandemic and what's going on with prices. Let's dig into that. All right, so let's dig into that. So volatile prices and demand. Uh, what what do you think caused these? Can you explain this? Well, yeah. So, uh, bottom line, during the pandemic, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, March 2020, everything stopped uh, in most places around this country, uh, including some mills. Uh, 
and mills shut down. Mills drastically cut back on, on their production. There was an interest in really reducing um, uh, transmission uh, of, the, of the virus. And, and so cities also and counties and, and, and other state, states and other jurisdictions decided that they wanted to um, slow down construction a little bit. So um, mills slowed down their production a little bit. And, uh, and what happened was that, that uh, things ground to a halt briefly. After people came home, they realized that they maybe they were still earning money. There were some stimulus dollars out there to try to help people uh, survive the uh, uh, maybe being laid off. Um, and also people decided they weren't going to travel, they weren't going to take their vacations. Uh, suddenly they're looking at their bank accounts or savings accounts and saying, hmm, I have a lot of extra cash here, plus now I've got to figure out how to work at home. And uh, maybe I'm spending a lot of time at home with, uh, you know, homeschooling my kids during the pandemic, and I'm going to make some investments. I'm here. I can supervise the work. Uh, let's go, ha go ahead and, uh, I don't know, um, add, on that, uh, add on that extra room. Uh, maybe that's an office for me. Maybe I, I, because I'm home, I can supervise, um, make sure that the work gets done right and reciting my house or re-roofing my house, putting in some new carpets. All of these things uh, really meant that there was increased demand for for wood, not for carpet, but not not because of the carpet, but uh, generally people increase their investments in their homes, and so that drove up demand for wood from, let's say, big box retailers and, and some builders. When did what you, happened, excuse me, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to, when did you start to see that demand start to really increase? Yeah, so that was really um, evident starting in, say, June of 2020, that people decided, you know what, I'm going to be working at home for a while. I'm going to start spending money. I'm going to contact some contractors. We're going to get some of this work done in the house. Um, at the same time, there was still sustained demand for new construction. So uh, builders out there said, you know what, actually, people are not telling me to stop building this house. I'm going to build this house. We had the contract already uh, written, and and so there was, and actually in 2020, early 2020, we were heading for a, uh, almost a banner year in, in new construction across the country, almost probably about 1.8 million housing starts, which is a high rate. That's the rate at which we were building in January, February, early March. But when the pandemic hit, it dropped. Still, there was a lot of pent-up demand for new construction, so that was the state. At the same time, we had mills that, because so many people were staying home, maybe taking care of their kids, maybe they were afraid of getting get the virus, maybe they were sick. Um, they were not staffing up at these mills, and mills could not respond to that higher demand. Okay, so demand's high, and the mills aren't putting out output. And you said the prices, I read from your article, went from, can you explain that with, uh, you know, um, plywood and OSB, oriented strand board? Right. So plywood, softwood plywood, and oriented strand board are two products that we call structural panels, structural wood-based panels. And you see those on the, uh, on the outside of it's basically the sheeting that goes on the outside of the house um, that also has some interior applications as well. Softwood lumber is another one. Both OSB and plywood, softwood plywood, as well as softwood lumber, those are the primary um, wood building products in this country. 
um, they all those products had their prices go up. They all had kind of the same phenomenon. They had restricted or limited labor availability. Couldn't respond to to the impacts uh, to the higher prices. Demand was high. Prices went through the roof. So, if you look at the the path of prices from night from about let's say May 2020 through uh, all of 21 and into early 22. Um, they were going up and down like crazy. And you know what? If you look at the, the illness rates across the country um, nationally, illness rates would increase, and then about two or three months later, we'd see the impact on prices for wood mm-hmm. products, for softwood lumber, for plywood, for oriented strand board. Uh, what this tells us, now, it's not causality. Um, there are some strong linkages that we could think about. And one of those linkages is that people were not showing up at mills. They, the mills would raise their wages. Some people came back, not enough to really increase their output too much. So if you look at the pattern of price changes over that, let's say, 18-month time span, you'll see that they really did follow with a little bit of a time lag the ups and uh, ups and downs of the pandemic which means that um, basically the the supply and demand movements out there were following the pandemic and uh, with a little bit of a time lag maybe partly due to inventories that could respond in, in existing orders but but in the end uh, the illness the illness rates as a proxy for what was going on in our broader in our country uh, really did get reflected in in the prices that we saw. So these mills wanted to obviously uh, meet this demand, you know, and keep those prices uh, lower and consistent, uh, but they just couldn't find the labor. That's right. So uh, they would say, I'd like to add a shift. Uh, anybody want to work overtime? Anybody know anybody else that can come and work? Uh, and there just weren't the workers. Or people said, uh, you know, I'm all maxed out on overtime. I can't work that much more. And so the mills just really struggled to increase their output. There was quite an incentive for mills to increase their output. You're looking at prices two or three times what they were, let's say, six months earlier. You're saying, I'd love to, I'd love to double my output. Problem is, I can't. Hmm. You call this a backwards shift in labor supply, right? That's right. So supply supply would have responded to those high prices if they could really have attracted those workers. In normal, in normal times, you could attract those workers. The pandemic, I think, had a real impact on being able to attract workers. And like I said, people were staying at home with their families. They were uh, Maybe they were sick. Uh, maybe they were rethinking their future uh, in terms of their profession. Maybe they were going to re- decide they wanted to retire a little bit early. So these are the things that were going on during those 18 months, especially, let's say, March to March of 22, uh, you know, late in uh, 21, that, that we saw we saw these kinds of these kinds of decisions by workers to um, not go back to mills. Now, you might be asking, what about the stimulus? And yeah, there were some there were there were efforts out there um, to make sure that people didn't totally have their income zeroed out, and so I think a lot of workers were taking advantage of that opportunity to not go back to work. Maybe they didn't make 
quite as much as they would at the mill. Maybe they'd make the same. Uh, and as long as those dollars were there, they, they could stay home and not have to worry so much about, about, uh, about you know, putting, putting uh, food on the table. Do you, do you know how much mills struggled before the pandemic to hire people or retain? Mills have had some time, some, something of a decline in overall number of workers. And if you look at the long-term trends in, in uh, wood products and paper and logging, um, there's been a long downward trend in the number of workers in all of those parts of the forest sector. So we can produce more lumber now per person employed than we used to be able to. Why is that? Technology has changed, right. and and we're, we have technology is more uh, that is able to produce uh, output more efficiently. You don't need as many workers. You walk into a you walk into a mill these days, or you walk into the mill. Uh, let's say an oriented strand board mill. Uh, oriented strand board is about 70% of all structural wood-based panels. Um, dwarfing plywood now, that's been quite a change over the last 20, 30 years. And you walk into one of those plants, you'll see almost nobody. They're in control rooms, uh, away from the machinery, in a quiet room, you know, looking at at all kinds of electronic, you know, screens and, and uh, other devices, and, and that's how those mills run. They're very highly automated, and uh, that has been a trend in even in in, uh, in milling for lumber as well, uh, maybe not quite as, as strong. Um, and you've seen the same out in the woods that uh, we can produce more logs per person than we used to be able to, and a lot of that has to do with you know more modern um, uh, equipment out in the woods. I mean, it's hard to quantify, but I wonder how much of this is due to culture, too, where people just, you know, younger people might not want to work in a mill. I remember a mill owner telling me he, he didn't hire anyone below a certain age. It's not that he wouldn't, but he could never find anyone below a certain age. So, you know, when I look at your numbers here, worker illness nationwide, 16% of the labor force, right? And then you say it increased 42% in paper products, so it's a lot more, the illness rate? So. Yeah, well, uh, you'd have to—I'd have to look at that numbers exactly. But what's going on here is that uh, in the paper sector, we're talking about illness rates co- increasing um, compared to prior to the pandemic. Right. Um, paper industry: uh, most workers are working indoors in these highly automated uh, settings. Um, there's more close contact. Um, with the few people that are there, maybe they're all in the same control room. Uh, they're interacting more. Uh, wood products facilities, maybe they're a little bit more open air. Um, logging, still lower rates of increase in, in uh, respiratory illness. Where, where does a lot of logging work get done? Outdoors. So there's a lower transmission outdoors. So the illness rates didn't, didn't uh, lower virus transmission. So the illness rates didn't really spike up as much for the more open-air sorts of job activities. That's what I would say. Right. Okay. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is how the pandemic drove up the cost of wood products with the USDA's Jeff Prestman. Jeff, we're going to take a break, and uh, up next we got some more questions for Jeff uh, for sure.
All right. You never give me your money by the Beatles. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Tonight's topic is how the pandemic drove up the cost of wood products with the USDA's Jeff Prestman. Jeff, how how uh, much did the output of mills increase during the pandemic about? Right. So uh, good question. The uh, output did not increase much. So what we did is we compared uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, the, about the nine months prior to the pandemic, with the first nine months of the pandemic to see how output might have responded to these super high prices that were emerging in the forest product sector. What we found was that output did increase a little bit in the south by a couple of percent. So here in the south, uh, where I work, uh, maybe up 2 or 3%. Out west in the United States, down. It went down. So even though we had higher prices, mills actually had to cut back on their production. And and that, I guess, would be most attributable to to uh, really this pulling back of available labor. So uh, all the, the trade journals that I've been reading are talking about how, how mills could not staff up. They just didn't have the people. And, and that was really uh, – really constraining how much they could respond to those high prices. We do import a lot of wood from Canada. Canada also had a sharp pullback in its overall production during the initial stages of the pandemic. So, yeah, you were talking about earlier, I mean, how uh, these mills are transitioning with technology uh, becoming more automated. They, it seems like they were in a good position to be able to weather that storm. In the south... Uh, we have some nice new mills. Um, a lot of new investment is coming into the southern United States. Uh, we have a lot of timber, and it's relatively low price. And uh, so I think that foreign investors are seeing all this timber here and saying, listen, I think we can make lumber and, and oriented strand board and paper, uh, maybe even, uh, at a lower cost, and we are going to move south and add new mills. And when you have a new mill, the new mill has the latest technology. Uh, the older mills, maybe they're a little behind. They're not quite as efficient. So yeah. there's this process when you have new investment that the newest newest mills coming in are going to be your most efficient mills. What about the north, do you know, if they've invested in their mills as much as the south? I have not looked at that. Normally, uh, it, the reality is that the north, let's say north of the Mason-Dixon and uh, east of the Mississippi, uh, there is only about 5% of the wood products produced in the U.S. come out of the northeast. Maybe it's closer to 10. It's a very small percentage. It's a relatively small percentage. The south has about 60 or 70% of total production. So the south does dominate. I'm not as familiar with the patterns that are happening up farther north. Uh, what we have seen is that a lot of the new capacity being installed in the United States is here in the south. Is that always the case, do you know? I mean, I feel like the north has, I mean, we have a tremendous wood supply. Yes, and in fact, a lot of nice hardwood uh, mills in the north, and, and hardwood is the strength of the north. And and I I don't, unfortunately, know that much about the history of, of how uh, mills have built and, and, and uh have a number of mills has gone up and down over time in the northern part of the United States, but I have I have looked at maps of where all the mills are, and I tell you, there's a high density of mills in the north. Um, those mills tend to be small. Hardwood mills tend to be smaller than softwood mills, and hardwood mills dominate in the north. 
Okay, yeah. So the mills needed less raw material because they didn't have the people to process it. Is, is that is that what I'm gathering? That's right. So if you were a timberland owner thinking these prices are going to be great for me, I'm going to be able to turn my, around and sell my product for a nice price. Yeah. Problem was these mills couldn't produce anymore. So why would they want more wood? So there wasn't really any increase in the demand for that timber. So there was really no price response. Uh, you look at prices in the United States, and they barely bunched during those two uh, in 2020 and 21 compared to prior to the pandemic. They they were just flat. Uh, so that that's a phenomenon, actually, um, that's been around for a while in the South. We have this growing inventory of, of standing timber. Um, but the pandemic, you would think, would have brought out great demand for, for timber, but uh, it, it was the mills that just could not make product, so they couldn't use any more wood. Is there any impact from, I mean, we've had a couple people on our radio show talk about carbon with carbon credits and, and incentivizing not to cut. Is that is that playing in or not yet? I don't know about that. I do a little bit of work in carbon, but I just cannot even speak to that, that aspect. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, I thought I'd ask. <laughs> so what about trucking? Trucking's a big deal. We hear a lot about it during the pandemic, the lack of truckers. Yes, and that w did play a role. We're still trying to parse out the relative impacts of things like uh, shortage of workers, shortage, shortage of truckers, um, maybe um, the role of trade barriers in, in influencing how quick the market could respond to high prices. Uh, the trucker trucking industry saw quite a drop in the number of employees, and uh, I have not looked at their illness rates, but nonetheless, trucking trucking capacity dropped during the pandemic quite a bit. So that meant that mills that may have had inventory to sell to, let's say, retailers, big box retailers, like Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever retailer you have um, out there, uh, they, they just couldn't get trucks to move it. And I am not sure yet, and we're still looking at how much the lack of availability of of trucking affected decisions on production at mills. That, that's a that's a question still to be answered. Hmm. What are uh, lessons that kind of an average consumer should take away from this? Should he be discouraged about using wood in the future? Um, from yeah, from your perspective. Well, the good news there is some good news here. Uh, since the pandemic has waned. Uh, Prices have settled down uh, for products. So if you're a homeowner and you want to do some home improvements, lumber's gone down in price, plywood, oriented strand board. And if you're a timber producer, a grower, um, good news is that staff staffing did return to many mills. Uh, mill, uh, lumber output and panel output has increased since the pandemic faded. Yeah, I would say since early 22, we've seen a significant uh, return of, of workers to some of these mills. Wages have gone up quite a bit for workers, and maybe that's playing a role at bringing them back. So you have higher wages, people are coming back to work. That, that puts a little bit of uh, kick behind the demand for, um, for wood going to the mills. So that's a good news story for the demand for standing timber. Are we seeing much price response in the market right now to this higher demand? A little. 
um, it's a little muted. It's kind of muted. And and I did look a little bit at the New York State prices from New York, um, from the state, and they track these on a regular basis. Um, and it looks like, yes, the, the price swings that, that you might have expected during the pandemic did happen even with standing timber in the state of New York. Uh, and I would say also that prices have come back up a little bit. So I think at least for some products that I looked at. So that's, that's good news for uh, timberland owners that are looking to sell. What, how does um, international trade work? I mean, Canada, according when I was reading your article, uh, a third of our softwood lumber comes from Canada. A lot of people don't realize, like New York, for example, is a as far as I know, is an, a net exporter to Canada, and then they return it back to us in manufactured products. How did that How did that fit in? Uh, so yes, Canada is a, an important. It's been they've been a source of imports for the United States for decades and decades and decades. Canada has a relatively small population. It has a relatively large forest resource and quite a quite an investment in production of uh, wood products. We have relied on softwood imports from Canada because we have a very large construction industry. Uh, the number of uh, new houses built in the United States is probably 10 times that of Canada. Uh, so Canada produces a lot. It doesn't consume a lot. And so it has the ability to send us a lot. So we get a lot of wood from Canada. There's a ongoing trade dispute between the United States and Canada on softwood lumber. And that, that has been, uh, it's it gets hot, it gets cold, and then it gets hot again. Um, the government is still, governments are still talking, and I really don't want to say much more about that given my position. But, but in the end, um, the United States and Canada understand that this, this role is crucial, and, and uh, this, this trade is very important to both countries, and uh, I think there's some determination to find a solution. Now, um, with respect to New York, yes, New York has an abundance of timber as well. And uh, a lot of states in the United States do export to other other states or to other countries. Um, hardwood is hardwood logs, hardwood lumber is quite valuable in global markets, um, maybe in New York. And I have not looked at the specific statistics for New York, but, but uh, it makes sense that we can send we can send wood to Canada, and Canada can send wood back to us. The net is that we import more from them than we export to them. So we are net, really on net, dependent on them for, for some of the wood that we consume here in this country. Yeah, and just to clarify, you mean we import manufactured goods from them once it's been processed. I think a lot of people don't realize we send them raw logs. Is that, is that, do I have that right? Yeah, some logs go across the border. I don't know the number. I don't know the exact quantity, but uh, that's all I could say about it uh, without yeah. looking at that specific uh, data. Yeah. Um, we're going to take another break here, and uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Tonight's topic is how the pandemic drove up the cost of wood products with the USDA's Jeff Preston. And uh, next I want to ask – um, Jeff, in the last last third of the show, about what to expect.
ABBA. Money, 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 and uh, we're talking a little bit about money, how the pandemic drove up the cost of wood products with the USDA's Jeff Preston on From the Forest. Jeff, you still there? Yes, I am. He's still with us. All right. Um, so what to expect? What, what, what's going to happen here? Price is going to go up. And, you know, I still can't get, like, chainsaw chains. I'm, I'm still unhappy. I'm still whining about getting products. You know, what's going to happen here? Yeah, I don't know about chainsaws. I should I should look into that. That's a, that's a good question. What's going on with that market? Uh, when it comes to forest products yeah. and the market for timber, uh, you know the prices have settled down. Uh, the pandemic has faded. We are back to more normal staffing levels at mills. Um, yet the pandemic has probably left its mark on mill owners. So if I were a mill owner, um, I would have looked at my experience in 2020, 2021, thinking, man, I really missed out on a lot of nice prices I couldn't produce. Mm. What should I do about that? And I think going forward, mills are going to have some incentives. Um, they had some incentives short run, uh, but one incentive is maybe I should invest in more equipment more capital-intensive equipment, maybe labor-saving technology. Sorry for mill workers, but that is what may be one factor that – one lesson that mill owners may be taking uh, home from the pandemic is that we need to invest in, in more capital, new equipment. So uh, I guess that's a good news story for makers of, manuf- of uh, mill equipment. Um, when it comes to the market itself for – Lumber, if you're a consumer, uh, yes, prices have settled down. Uh, we have work looking at the long-run trajectory of the forest sector in the United States and globally, and, and that's part of another role I have within uh, the Forest Service. Um, we have these longer-run looks, uh, snapshots of what may be coming down the road uh, in the forest sector. Um, and for markets, we see a long-run trajectory of generally increased output. So that means that there should be sustained demand for timber and also uh, sustained and probably rising prices in the long run. In the short run, we've seen some recovery from those dizzyingly high prices from 2020 and 2021 uh, for things like lumber and panels. The long run will be you know, just as volatile as history, maybe not like a pandemic. So you'll see ups, you'll see downs. But uh, according to some of the models we've looked at, the, the trajectory is for overall higher production and overall higher prices. Mm. Um, oh, go ahead, Zane. Well, um, so is there any questions that weren't addressed in this paper that uh, you were looking for to have answered? I really wish that we could have dived more deeply into the question of the role of of our trade posture with Canada and our other trading partners. The United States did get some more imports from Canada during the pandemic when we had those super high prices. Eventually, um, we got more imports. We also got more imports from a suite of other countries, namely South America, especially Brazil. Um, but also from Europe, uh, so countries like Germany. 
uh, and these countries in Europe were able to provide us with some of the softwood lumber, softwood lumber we, we needed here uh, to build our houses. Um, we don't know the role of the trade response on what we observed in the United States. We can make some guesses, mm. uh, but there's some more work we need to understand about how, how, how did our tariffs against softwood lumber from Canada mm. affect how high the prices went? That's a big question we still need to answer. Another long one, long run question we need to answer given a little bit more data, maybe there's enough data in hand already, is was there, is there or has there been an investment response? So have mills decided to be more capital intensive, so buy new equipment? Mm. Um, are we seeing increased rates of foreign domestic investment? So uh, are we seeing um, more money coming in from other countries to build mills in the United States. Uh, money from Canada, from China, from Sweden, from Finland. Uh, we've seen flows from those countries recently. Is that now higher because of the pandemic? We don't know yet. So you said, um, you know, the pandemic left an imprint on mill owners, but what about on the demand side of people paying high prices? Um, you mentioned this in your paper, alternative sources of wood and concrete, metal, other things that people could use that might not be as expensive? I don't know. Yes. Right. So uh, during the pandemic, we had these super high prices. Uh, usually uh, builders can't immediately switch out one, let's say, a, a stud, a wood, uh, you know, a softwood lumber stud for uh, with another product, which is not wood, um, because you know, the design of the, the building did not incorporate this other non-wood product. So, or you could think about multifamily housing, so big apartment buildings and that kind of thing. They use a lot of wood in apartment buildings in the United States. But also apartment buildings being larger structures uh, can incorporate a lot of non-wood components, but they can also use wood. When prices were super high, um, let's say architectural engineers were starting to think, hmm, well, geez, that, that's an expensive beam or, uh, you know, these are expensive wood components, I can, I can get the competitor made out of a different material um, installed in this building at somewhat lower cost or not much higher cost or it's cheaper to install in other ways. So maybe I'll go with that non-wood product. So the pandemic did kind of make, my opinion, not yet tested, uh, but economic laws do tell us that if if the wood prices go up a lot but the non-wood prices non-wood components competing components don't go up so much and they didn't then i have an incentive to go with more of that non-wood so i think that's one one dynamic that needs to be investigated more how much of that actually did happen and if we have overall rising prices of wood in the long run wood products like lumber and panels um then, then uh, there is some competition uh, that will be faced uh, um, uh, by by these manufacturers of wood products um, from the non-wood uh, non-wood components that we go into buildings. That's not a good story for sustainability issues or carbon uh, generally, but it is a reality that may have to be faced. Did you? Uh, happen to look at any data on um, uh, personal consumers buying uh, 
say like portable sawmills and doing their own milling and uh, you know doing it from home. If I were if I had a portable sawmill and I needed to build something and I saw those prices down down at the big box retailer, I would say, geez, I, maybe I can mill up some of my own wood, and maybe some of that happened. I have not looked into that, unfortunately. It, it's an interesting question and should be investigated. Well, we know from our experience, our portable sawmill at Catskill Forest Association was uh, full. Yeah. So, yeah Explicitly it really took off. due to prices, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that was that definitely happened in the Catskill Mountains, and I'm sure not different other areas. Um, well, I got another yeah, question. Go before. Um, so you might have already answered this with, with Ryan's last question, but you know, economics is is a kind of a weird science. Sometimes I think you'd attest to that. People do things for good reasons. People do things uh, for seemingly no reason at all. In your uh, uh, pers- in your perspective, is there anything that happened that just didn't make sense? that otherwise was just unique during the pandemic? I, I would I was surprised generally by the lack of response by mills to these high prices. Mm-hmm. Um, this this seemed to defy logic and and I thought that the pandemic prices would really have uh, led to uh, mills being able to respond to those high prices and really kicking out more output. And yet, um, it, after looking at the data and all the problems with shipping, trucking, uh, lack of workers, uh, it became apparent to me that, that uh, the wood product sector, maybe not unique to other parts of uh, the economy, but the wood product sector was particularly tangled up with all kinds of problems that, that really limited how it could respond uh, to that, those kinds of market pressures. And, and, uh, and so I feel like there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. We haven't learned them all. We don't know what those lessons are even sometimes. And uh, it really, it, it was a puzzle. A lot of people were surprised. That's why people would come up to me and say, what's going on with these prices? Mm. And I, I had to figure out an answer. Uh, and and because uh, I was also surprised at, at the rate of price increases and all those wide swings, so I guess I more than anything, uh, what surprised me was just how how uh, how much trouble the the forest product sector got itself into during the during the um, well I I don't know if I would blame it on the whole forest product sector, but just how much how difficult it was for the market to respond to. Mm-hmm. To these these kinds of dynamics of shortage of labor and increased demand for wood and, and these these things were surprising. I just wonder if the wood products sector is more more of um, more in trouble and and couldn't respond because it's in a rural area and they couldn't hire people as well as other areas. Um, the rural areas, you know, from my experience, have been having a lot of issues hiring people for a lot of reasons. And I just wonder if that if they were harder hit than some some other sectors, like in comparison to tech, you know, where there, there's so many young people going into tech, there's not many people going into working in a mill, at least here in the Catskills. You know, I have some friends who own mills, and they complain about that. They were complaining about that well before the pandemic. Yeah, I have heard that. Thanks, Ryan, for that. I mean, it is it is something I've been hearing about for several years. Uh, I've got some colleagues in Europe who who complained to me about exactly the same thing happening over in Europe. They cannot find workers. 
people are not going to work in these industries, and for whatever reason, is that is it an attraction, lack of attraction to the kinds of jobs that are available in, in the forest product sector? Um, is it that the, the wages are so, or the wages are so much higher in other sectors? Uh, reality also is that woodwork is dangerous, and uh, it has the high, you know, lump, um, logging in the logging sector some of the highest rates of injuries and, and deaths in in, a, in the economy. Um, that has been a reality for a long time. And in fact, those rates have been coming down for a long time. So uh, it's not a complete explanation in my view. Um, but it is, it does put this into perspective. The wages in wood products, paper is fine. They pay, pay well in the paper sector. Uh, wages in wood products have not, are not as high as they are in the rest of the economy generally. And, and also, um, it's a little bit riskier job to have. Um, is that, does that play a role? That's research we're doing right now as well. We're, we're looking into that, that question, the role of, of those kinds of factors. But generally, yes, we see this uh, shrinking of available labor, and it's not just the United States problem. It appears to be uh, a worldwide problem. Yeah, sure. Well, we only got about... Um about a minute and a half left, Jeff. And uh, if you're just tuning into the radio show, tonight's topic is how the pandemic drove up the cost of wood products with USDA's Jeff Pressman. Is there anything else you wanted to leave off with, Jeff? I would just say that uh, keep your eye on the market. I think that there's more to come. I, I would say that uh, the future is a little bit more quiet. Interest rates have gone up. Demand for wood is coming down a little bit. I think we're going to see a little bit of slowing before we, we get back to those kinds of high, higher prices that, that I think we're, are going to emerge in the longer run based on our, based on our predictions. And, and I guess uh, keep hope alive is what, uh, what some people might say. Well, Jeff, thank you for uh, taking the time and coming on from the forest tonight. My pleasure, and thanks a lot for having me. All right. Thank you again, and uh, have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you just missed that, that was uh, Jeff Prestonman from the USDA Forest Service talking about how the pandemic drove up the cost of wood products. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, very cool show. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like I said, mill owners have been complaining a while about not being able to hire, and, and many sectors have, but especially it seems like maybe that sector more than others. I think environmentally speaking, the future's got to be made of wood. So, you know, think uh, look at the environmental impact of concrete and metal and, need more woodworkers we'll see um yeah so next week we'll have uh we'll be talking about fall foliage with gary mead we have gary on every third wednesday and uh man it's beautiful out there i gotta say winnesuk winnesuk uh over there by winnesuk lake takes the cake for having the nicest foliage that i've seen so far but anyway see you next week and have a good night good night everyone The neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow His eyes were red, his hopes were dead and the wine was running low And the old man came home from the forest His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in Stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway, and the bottle was his friend. 
Come home. 